We all have that in us. It's usually just that we don't think we're capable or we put ourselves down to a point. And luckily I had this great crew who were like, let's go for it. And you just kind of need those people around you sometimes in these, in these moments. Welcome to the Channel Mastery Podcast. If you're a specialty business and brand leader obsessed with understanding what the most effective channels are today to connect with, serve, and sell to your target consumers, then you've just found the perfect podcast and community. My name is Kristen Carpenter, and I'm your host and the founder of Verde Brand Communications, the presenting sponsor of Channel Mastery. Verde created the Channel Mastery Podcast to level the playing field for the specialty brands we serve. Every week on this show, we study how consumer preferences are changing and the evolving channels they like to use to engage with their favorite brands. Once again, welcome to Channel Mastery and subscribe today. Welcome everybody to a live edition of the Channel Mastery Podcast. It is great to have you here today, and I have guests. This is a first, so I would um, first want to just tee up this podcast. Uh, This is an extension or a deep dive from the panel that we did on Tuesday of this week, which can be found at outdoorindustry.org and snowsports.org. But we had uh, five people on a panel around personal protective equipment, doing the pivot to that, and it's literally impossible to have everybody have the time that's needed to explain, inspire, talk about face plants and winds as they're happening every hour of every day right now. And so I felt it really compelled to pull together three special episodes of the Channel Mastery podcast uh, this week featuring the different panelists. So if you wouldn't mind introducing yourselves, panelists, I have representatives from the great state of North Carolina here. Take it away. After you, Amy. I'm Amy Allison. I'm the director of the North Carolina Outdoor Recreation Industry Office here. And I'm Sarah Wood. I am founder of Good Talk, a business management firm, and also um, co-founder of the Supply Connector, as well as the board chair of the North Carolina Outdoor Recreation Coalition. I'm super excited to have you here today. So not only are you going to share what's been going on in the great state of North Carolina around collaboration and pivoting to personal protective equipment manufacturing. Uh, We're also going to talk about just the outdoor recreation community there and in terms of business community, uh, how things have really kind of haloed out from your state nationally, just the changes that you've seen, the collaboration, and some great resources that you're behind uh, that the whole nation can tap into. So actually the world quite frankly. So we're going to go ahead and drop in. I'm going to just do this Q&A style, and then we'll be posting this to the Channel Mastery podcast, as well as it will be syndicated again through SIA and Outdoor Industry Association. So with that, I wanted to just first have both of you introduce yourselves and give us a little bit of your background, and I'd love to have you start, Sarah. Okay. Great. Um, Well, I guess my career in the outdoor industry started when I moved to Colorado from Tennessee. I was working in the music industry and definitely just wanted to have more time on a bike and a kayak and in my tent. And the music industry was like, spend more time in bars, watching, (laughs) you know, artists. And so when I moved, I didn't have a job, but luckily I got in with the American Alpine Club and the Mountaineering Museum there in Golden. 
And um, that was kind of my first step into the outdoor industry. And it really was such a great experience. I worked in development and fundraising and events and um, was able to kind of use some of my background there to help that organization for a few years. And then um, moved to Carbondale, Colorado from Golden to work as executive director of the Five Point Adventure Film Festival for several years. And then had an opportunity to move to North Carolina, where I actually had my first outdoor experience from, I mean, I grew up in Indiana, so like you play basketball and you do gymnastics and you don't really climb mountains in Indiana. And so I moved back to North Carolina and was able to get, had this great opportunity with Industry 9. So I was, uh, which is a a high-end cycling component manufacturer. And I was VP of operations there for several years before I started my consulting business, which is based, basically, I I work part-time in North Carolina, part-time in Colorado, but home right now is North Carolina, and it's great, and I have such a great community uh, here, but North Carolina was my first, like, introduction to Outdoor Rec, and so being able to serve that community here is so rewarding. I bet, and I I have Industry 9 Hubs, P.S. Yeah! (laughs) It's a great product. (laughs) How about you, Amy? Great. Okay. So I I grew up in Louisiana. So also um, outdoor recreation opportunity that there are not the same as they are in the state of North Carolina. But I moved here um, in the 90s to work for a camp in the Brevard area. Um, and so I was their wilderness guide and their rock climbing lead and um, did that for five years while I was going to school and then eventually just moved to Brevard full time and was an outfitter and guide there for some different companies in the area, and then a teacher working with some of the same students that we were leading in the outdoors and started some outdoor recreation programs with the school. And then from there, took a wild leap and um, started working with the Leave No Trace Center for Outdoor Ethics out of Boulder, Colorado. Um, But my husband and I were their traveling trainer team for three years. So we lived out of our Subarus and um, traveled all over the country and taught outdoor ethics, got to see, you know, all the lower 50 states, lower 48 states with that that job. Um, And that kind of led me into this path of really being involved with the outdoor industry. Soon after that, I started working for Eno Hammocks based here in Asheville, North Carolina. Yeah, they're a super cool company. Love working with them. Um, I started as their events coordinator and then rolled into, I was their marketing director. So I was there for about seven years before taking the job that I have now as the director of the outdoor recreation industry. And when did you take that job? Um, It was at the end of October. So I am, what, five or six months into it now. So it's been a roller coaster and a whirlwind, and I would not trade it for anything. And she's crushing it. (laughs) Yeah, obviously. And I, I just have to say, you're the first in the chair, right? There was someone who had the role before I was okay. before I took over as well. David Knight was his name. Um, okay. He did it for about a year and a half, and then um, and then I jumped into the role. That's fantastic, and we are going to talk more about you know what that's like working in that office in that state. Uh, just because every state is different, every state's office is tied to different budgets and has a different approach and works with the governor differently. So I do think that would be an interesting thing to dive in on quickly as we get through our interview here today. So. And I just also want to say, having entrepreneurs and people, you know, who have literally like lived out of their cars to serve the outdoor 
<laughs> industry <laughs> community, like, and now you're in a government role. Like, what a fantastic duo you are to have on the on the podcast here as part of our COVID-19 series of resources. And again, what we're going to talk about today is something none of us on this Facebook Live saw coming, especially when you took your role in October, a pandemic and now a recession, right? So let's, uh, I was hoping to talk a little bit about the founding of the North Carolina outdoor business community, because it sounds like um, from what I gleaned in our um, panel that we did earlier this week, it sounds like a very tight-knit group of makers, um, and I'm curious to know how this family came together and how it's really evolving through this crisis. Sure. Um, we start. It was actually right around the time that I started working with Eno. Um, we, you know, through that organization, we're collaborating and working with other brands in the industry in our area. But you know, we kind of kept having these moments of realizing that there were so many brands that were based here, but that we didn't all know one another. We could, you know, maybe had emailed with one another, but if they walked past you on the street, you wouldn't know who they were. So we had, you know, kind of that mixed with being out in the community and where, you know, with Eno, you can see at every brewery in the community, there's Eno hammocks and everybody's yard, there's Eno hammocks. So it's, it's, you know, definitely a product that's out there, but we were, you know, all the time having people say like, oh, you know, you're, you're based here. We didn't know that. So it, at that time when there was this whole emphasis on, you know, buying local, we were kind of like, you know, it, local just doesn't have to be about your groceries and your crafts and, and whatnot. You can buy your gear local as well. So we started talking about putting together an event that would bring all of these makers together in the same space and to do, you know, kind of an outdoor community event where everybody could come out, meet the makers of the gear, purchase the product and share their stories back and forth of either why they made the gear or why they purchased it. And from that, you know, we just started picking up the phone and calling all these different companies and everyone was super excited about it. So, you know, that led to us just all getting together at a brewery, putting a face to a name to then putting on this event, which we now hold annually. We call it our Get In Gear Fest um, and literally just kind of talk about coming out, meeting the makers, get your gear spruced up for spring. We always do it in March. And then from there, it's launched into, we now have a nonprofit organization, the Outdoor Gear Builders of Western North Carolina. Um, we have 40 plus members of that organization that are all gear builders right now. And we just kind of, we work together, we share stories, collaborate. We've created some programs to really help out and foster some, you know, young up and coming growing companies um, and to give them support and mentorship as well. And, and, you know, we've just kind of created a really nice little family from that community. That's awesome. And Sarah, how did you fit into this family? <laughs> well, it actually started um, when I was working at Five Point. You know, I was here asking Amy for sponsorship money. Um, ah. And so when I came here with um, some of my team to really scope out Asheville as a place for uh, the festival to have a show, the Outdoor Gear Builders was already, you know, in full swing. And so it was, it was such an, I mean, as a fundraiser, it was an easy way to tap in and, and actually know who's in the scene and who might want to be a part of it. So that's really how it started. And then, um, you know, those relationships, as you know, in the outdoor industry, you just connect so easily with with like-minded people. So it was easy to stay in touch. And then when I moved here and started working for one of the members, uh, Industry 9, you know, I was able to tap in even further and, and kind of foster those relationships even more. So it was, that's kind of where it started. 
Yeah. Awesome. And just say when she talks about like coming to meet Amy at Eno, like we have this meeting set up and and we've talked on the phone and maybe done some, you know, chats through email. And here she comes on her motorcycle. She's like with a helmet tucked under her arm. This like badass. Didn't you bike across the country for yeah, that? Yeah. yeah. So like coming to a meeting, like I just want to paint that picture because I was like, oh my God, she's such a badass. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I forgot about that. <laughs> That's really oh, cool. I love it. And that actually, um, I also just wanted to quickly ask before we jump to my next question, like how does the, I, you know, as a person who I've visited your beautiful state, but I obviously have never lived there, but I have, you know, having worked in these markets for many years, there's a very rich history of manufacturing there. And I'm curious to know how that is factoring into the outdoor gear builders and also into what we're going to talk about today, because it's just the, the legacy of the American manufacturing that you have, I think has really touched every of the every single one of the outdoor active lifestyle markets that Verde works in. And we've had several clients and still do um, who are based there because of the manufacturing. So I'm just curious to know, like, especially you, Sarah, having lived in Colorado and kind of have almost a dual citizenship, like, what do you see that's like very special about that today? Like, how has that evolved into its current state? Yeah, you know, um, what I have just witnessed and what I've seen, I guess, on the ground and even directly with Industry 9, I mean, I came there to, to be an engineer apprentice and that's, you know, kind of the area I was super interested in learning more about and, and why I took the job. And it evolved into the operations role. So I was still able to kind of keep my toe in the, you know, in the design and you know, I, I wasn't contributing at a high level, but it was so good to absorb. And what I learned is that the outdoor recreation industry really gave a lot of the manufacturing industry across North Carolina another purpose where maybe some of their former, you know, um, output was was dwindling from domestic manufacturing standpoint, they created brands for the outdoor industry, which gave their businesses this whole new sector to grow in. And there are several examples of that. And Turnamics, which is the manufacturer for Industry 9, their sister companies um, owned by the same father-son duo, you know, is, is a perfect example. He created that brand out of the machine shop. That machine shop's been there for 50 years, making parts mm -hmm. for all kinds of industries. Um, so I think, you know, it's exciting for me to come in with this outside perspective, but then seeing how well this fabric of manufacturers across the state have, have pivoted before they needed to because of a virus, they pivoted into the outdoor industry because it was such a growing sector and they were prime for it, whether it was the textile industry here or like the machining, like Turnamics as an example. So I think, you know, that's just such a good, it, it's so cool to see that and, you know, they're thriving. That's great to hear. Yeah. Did you want to add anything on that, Amy, in terms of just um, how you work with this group of manufacturers? Because I'm sure this was something I, I'm just going to ask it earlier than I was planning, but your community of outdoor recreation obviously isn't only, you know, what we do in, in our outdoor or in cycling or endurance, et cetera. You obviously have a much broader group of community members there. Can you talk a little bit about that and how that ties into the manufacturing legacy? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that our manufacturer and our builders that are here are just inspired by the landscape and a lot of them have come here for that reason. And then, you know, we're kind of given a strong foundation because of the manufacturing legacy that is here. But we're, I, I just feel 
super lucky in North Carolina because we we have the mountains and we have the Smokies, you know, on the far western side of the state, and then Cape Hatteras National Seashore on the eastern side of the state. So, and, and everything in between. So, where we've got um, you know skiing and snowboarding, you know, on one end, and then we have a huge boating industry, you know, out on the coast as well. So, and then and then everything in between that. So, you know, RVing and camping and fishing and hunting and I mean, you name it. The state of North Carolina is is a great place, you know, for whatever kind of recreation you're into. That's awesome. That's and great it's to hear. legit. Like I have to say. <laughs> Moving here from Colorado and everyone's like, oh, the mountains and you have all this elevation and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, all right, you ride a day with some of these hardcore mountain bikers in Western (laughs) North Carolina, you will clock more elevation than you possibly can do in the same day. I I guarantee you. And you will be (laughs) worn out and you won't be sunburned because you got the canopy. So (laughs) it's world class. It really is. I've always wanted to go there and I cycling vacation, just to be honest. Like I'm yeah. really excited to go there. So anytime. Come on. Well, not right now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Maybe there's something on Zwift. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and don't get me wrong. I love I love my Alpine zone. I miss the desert and you know that's why I'm trying to lead this dual life. But it it really is world class here. That's awesome. Well thank you. I appreciate that. So we're here to talk about um, resources, insights, inspiration, collaboration. Uh, I, one of my partners at Verde yesterday said something that was so great. She actually uh, saw a quote from the CEO of Cotopaxi that said, I prefer to now refer to this as the COVID opportunity instead of the COVID crisis, just because, you know, there's a morale issue, whether it's our own, you know, morale or whether it's that of our teams. And I just loved that. Um, so I, of course, in no way I'm discounting like the tragedy and hardship that we're all going through, some much, much worse than others. But at the same time, what we're here to talk about today around personal protective equipment and pivoting your manufacturing to that, um, I think is an opportunity in terms of joining to help, but also just in terms of keeping businesses afloat, keeping jobs, which also very much helps the entire you know, country get through this crisis. So I wanted to talk specifically today, um, and Sarah, I'd love to start with you. Uh, you obviously are an entrepreneur and a very free and fierce spirit, and I'm not at all surprised like that you came up with supplyconnector.org, and I was hoping you could share the impetus for that with the audience here today and, un- and help us understand what that resource is, because you stood that up incredibly quickly, and it is a very powerful platform. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, It really started, I've I've been doing some contract work with Industry 9 um, since I left, and the owner had asked me to look into my network to see if I could help somehow connect their manufacturing resources to the relief effort. And, you know, initially we were thinking, well, you know, we're a machine shop, we've got 100 CNC machines, like we can, you know, mills and lathes, we can certainly turn some components, you know, for ventilators or whatever. I mean, None of us have worked in the medical industry, so this was new. So in my initial search for that, I realized, wow, you know, there are these great forms out there and there are a lot of platforms where you can submit information for how you can help or if you have a finished good, like a mask or a face shield already made. But there really isn't a place for someone like us that has capacity and doesn't really know who to call or where to to put that capacity. So... um, So I basically did research for maybe four days, 
five days and was like, okay, it's not there. Like, I can't find it. It's not there. And I want to call these people directly. I don't want to wait for someone to call me back. You know, I, I'm in some ways a very impatient person when I want to get <laughs> something done. I just want to do it. And, you know, and, and I just called people and Amy was like one of the first calls I made, which was like, Hey, what do you know? Like, do you know if anyone's doing this across the state? Do you know if anyone else from other states, you know, through your network with the directors, you know, what is happening is I just feel this urgency and I'm not finding the solution and there's got to be a better way. So that's when I called Laurel over at Status Forward and her design and development firm and website firm, they jumped right on. I basically just asked her, I was like, am I crazy to think this directory is, is a simple thing to build? And, you know, I'm sure I'm not thinking of everything, but I've been in enough databases. We've probably built this platform five times over in other industries. Like, and she's like, oh yeah, we'll have that done in like four days. And it was just like, boom. And she was on it. She had her whole team, you know, um, coordinated immediately. And between me feeding them my thoughts and information I was getting from the manufacturing side, and then me reaching out to some friends who are nurses and being like, what resources can you share so we get this right, get the language right? And it just, it was just like the perfect example of an already existing network tapping into each other at the right time but also with the people who had the right hearts who weren't like, well, how much funding can you get me before I get started? You know, right. everyone was just like, this is how we can contribute. I'm not a platform developer, but I know who to ask and, or at least try. And I'm not afraid to stick my neck out and say, can you help with this? Like, I don't know. Am I crazy? Like, Hey, can you provide your services to help get this stood up? And, and luckily it was, you know, it was the right group and, and they wanted to get shit done too. So we just did it. <laughs> so what are we talking like idea to reality here? Five days? <sighs> idea to reality was probably, yeah, about five days before we saw something that they had created. And then we took another four days to tweak it and had it live. That's amazing. And is it real time? I mean, how often is it updated? Can you explain a little bit about how it works? Yes. So we are getting submissions constantly, all day, every day. I'm in the platform in the back end, you know, if not once an hour, at least once every two hours, approving or or disapproving posts just to make sure that they're accurate and and relevant. And I vet each one. So I'm looking at the website. I might be making a phone call. I might do a follow-up email. Um, and we also have some other team members doing the same work so that we can keep it updated as quickly as possible. And that we make sure that what's getting up there is legitimate. Um, because obviously for security reasons, um, you know, we don't want anyone stepping into a relationship that they shouldn't. Now, it is on them. So you get into the platform, you post what you need, so if you are a business that wants to gear up and get ready to, to start when maybe some of these essential business restrictions are lifted, you can get on there. You can buy your own PPE for your, you know, for your employees. You can buy devices like foot-operated um, door openers like Sylvan Sport is making. You, know, you can go ahead and prepare your business to get ready to open now through this. So you can find what you need. All you have to do is get into the directory and search. You can search by term. You can do the advanced search through the filters. For those who are on the supply side, you can list your finished goods. You can also list your materials. So for instance, 
a sylvan sport, just using that example, might be looking for plastics to source. So it kind of runs the gamut of the supply chain. And we tried to make it as simple as possible so that it was really easy to directly connect. So, you know, Tom over at Sylvan Sport can get in and he can search for the plastics. He can also search for the restaurants who are saying, I need sneeze guards and I need foot-operated door openers. And, um, and he can call them and say, hey, I have these and, and here's my cost. Most of these are selling, buying and selling at cost. Most of the manufacturers I've talked to are doing that. Um, there are some that are donating. I had a great listing this morning come in from Bissell, which I think was a connection from our webinar that we did with OIA and SIA earlier this week. Mm-hmm. Um, and I believe, you know, Chaco probably helped get them aware of the platform. And I got a I got an email from Bissell who wants to donate a ton of their material. So, you know, I shot that over to a few people immediately. So the way it's best used is if the users and the listers get in and search daily. So you get in and you list your product or what you need, and then you come back and you search every day because we have listings coming in all the time. We are working on our platform and our staff in terms of being able to help support those connections if we see them, but the users shouldn't rely on that. And we definitely aren't 100% endorsing anyone that's on the platform. You have to still do your own due diligence before you buy or sell. So that's that's kind of how it works. Well, that's super interesting because I think just by the name itself, I was I thought that it was mostly about like sourcing plastics and, and whatnot. But you actually can go on there to prepare your physical business, your storefront for reopening. Yes. Mm-hmm. That's and you can awesome. find those products too, those finished mm-hmm. goods, whether it's going to be a face shield or a mask or a, you know, it's not just PPE. You know, it's it's everything in between, all the hard what we what we're calling the hard goods, which we know in our industry what that is. But um, yeah. So we learned in the webinar uh, earlier this week, and we'll be doing a, a Facebook Live tomorrow with Outdoor Research and DPS Skis, and another one with Lindy from Chaco. So we have two coming up tomorrow. But I wanted to say that. We learned in the webinar that there are different tiers of PPE that manufacturers are pivoting to. Outdoor research taking more of an FDA-compliant approach, and a lot of the other companies in our industry are taking you know, more of a – I mean, it's still obviously very suitable, and there's absolutely huge demand, but it seems like there's two tiers of it. Uh, in your state, it sounds like the majority of the people who have um, pivoted their manufacturing to this – are making things that are basically, they don't have to stand up completely, you know, brand new or redo their manufacturing facility. So I just want to make sure that the audience is aware that your company can lean in. You don't have to actually like have it be, you know, meeting some guidelines of some enormous (laughs) physical binder. Um, And I think that that is definitely what outdoor research is wading through, but they have a decades long experience with Department of Defense contracts and very compliancy, et cetera. So we'll get into that more tomorrow. But I wanted to make sure that we were able to really showcase today that this is an inclusive opportunity. Like if you have the capability to contribute, you can head over to supplyconnector.org or you could even just, you know, look at the resource page at uh, snowsports.org or outdoorindustry.org and, and um, 
be able to find out a lot of information on this. There's a lot out there. Um, it really that, also yeah, just depends right. on like your volume, right? So mm-hmm. Outdoor Research has the capacity to do a very large volume. So they're like a perfect match to work with FEMA at mm-hmm. that level and do an FDA approved device or series of devices. A smaller manufacturer that still can do a relevant volume that's going to help even some local or regional healthcare institution or small businesses who are trying to equip themselves and be ready to open, those are still, and and maybe they don't go through all the rigmarole of an FDA approval, there's still a need for those devices as well. And even more so in some cases where it's not as critical that they are FDA approved, let's leave those FDA approved devices open for the areas like the hospitals and areas where it is very critical for, for that approval. That's a great point to bring up. So rural communities, obviously, I live in one of those. Um, We've had people on our panel from both sides, but you are, I think, talking from the rural community perspective. Um, And let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk about the importance of, you know, basically looking at at your sphere from like your front yard and then growing beyond that. So can you talk a little bit about kind of cross-pollination between like the industry, or sorry, yeah, the outdoor recreation community there, as well as the hospitals or schools, or, you know, can you maybe like create some bridges for the audience to see how you actually started local and then went national? Yeah. And I would say probably the best example is that we dipped into that network of the outdoor gear builders to kind of share this platform first. We said, hey, you know, give us some feedback. We want this to be incredibly valuable to this kind of middle group of people who are super capable of producing a relevant volume of devices, but aren't necessarily going to be on the radar or a best source for like a FEMA and that Mm -hmm. that kind of volume. And so we did, we tapped into Sylvan Sport, Lightheart Gear, um, Industry 9 and Kitspo were working together to produce face shields. And they were a great example of the automation expertise that Industry 9 has and trying to use that to help Kitspo we make more. But Kitspo is a great example, too, of how they were able to connect with, you know, um, just from his emergency, David's emergency medical service background into some contacts, um, not even in North Carolina. And, And what we found was that, you know, yes, it's great to support your local community, but if your local community is your only audience and you can do more or you can produce a volume that that will serve more than just your local community, um, whether it's your county or your region. Tennessee can receive masks from North Carolina. Colorado, you know, there was a, a healthcare institution that I got connected with through some contacts in Colorado that was like, I'll take anything from anywhere. We're desperate. And I'm like, mm-hmm. why, why can't we do this across state lines? This makes no sense. We are, it's, it is just as easy to give this to UPS and let it take a couple of days to get to Colorado versus giving it to UPS and it taking the next day to get down the street, you know, or a, or a direct delivery, you know, that system is in place. Let's use it. And, and Hey, if I've got a surplus, let's give it to New York. If I've got a surplus, let's give it to Washington. They are in much more need than North Carolina is right now, or, or, or was at the time. I haven't looked at the numbers today. So, um, you know, I think those are good examples of why we saw it being, you know, testing it here, you know, using our resources that we had close to home first, but then also saying, hey, if this can help someone across state lines, we should be doing that. 
Yep, exactly. And I, uh, Kitspo is one of our clients, and I just have reverence for that brand and their leadership. Um, we, I, it, I'm pretty sure that they were one of the first out of the gate on a national level as a small, independently owned business. And the storytelling that's come out of that, I wanted to take a few seconds to talk about this. It's because I think a lot of the companies out there who are making this pivot are just the first thing they'll say when I was researching the panel is, you know, we're not doing this for opportunity, for financial opportunity. And I just want to say, like, there's so much storytelling to be told. We actually pitched an, an editor from a major publication, um, and and that editor was so touched by the story of what Kitspo was doing that they literally, like, got teary-eyed in the phone oh. call. And, like, I just feel like there's it's, a, it's very much um, something that people don't just jump to that conclusion. All they see is creatively – you know, being nimble, standing at attention and doing what you can to help yeah. and um, sharing those human stories is a really big part of that because I think it inspires more people to help. Whether it's a person who doesn't have the ability to do a pivot in manufacturing, it's a what can I do? Um, but that I just want to say is, is a really important part of this is like share the experience. And then we're going to talk more tomorrow when I have Alex Adema from DPS Skis. He talked about just the overnight shift in morale with his teams as well mm-hmm. as the companies that they're partnering with in Salt Lake. And I'm excited to talk about that tomorrow. But there is, you know, I think that, you know, I was talking to a client this morning who's like, we're in day 32 of this or whatever. And I kind of consider it more like five weeks. <laughs> it's yeah. literally starting to feel like forever. And I know everybody's feeling like that. So these moments where we can like grasp onto like something positive and root for people are really important for us just as a human species, I think right now. Yeah. It's like, it's a culture builder, you know, and, and it also is that, you know, I, when I was starting this idea, you know, I had the same kind of thoughts like, well, who am I? And certainly somebody else is doing this or like, what impact can I have? Like, you know, and it was like, well, you know what, even if I do this and somebody does have the better idea and there, there is something that lands before I'm able to pull it up together. Great. That's a great thing to happen. And, and it's still not a waste of time because I'm learning, you know, and, and I'm just doing whatever I can to help. And, you know, we're not, it, we're all, we all have that in us. It's usually just that we don't think we're capable or we put ourselves down to a point. And luckily I had this great crew who were like, let's go for it. And it's like, yeah, let's go for it. And you just kind of need those people around you sometimes in these, in these moments. So I think it is, it's a great culture builder. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And I think the realization of, as things were moving so fast that if it wasn't absolutely perfect when we first put it out or first started sharing it, because it's really easy for all of us to do that in our our world of not (laughs) wanting to share something until we feel like it's, you know, absolute perfection. But just, you know, Sarah and the team kind of just being like, let's, let's put it out there. And we know, you know, we're going to continue to work on it, continue to build it and take people's feedback and advice. And I mean, what's out there is amazing, you know, as it is right now, but just the idea of like all, all the plans to build the site, you know, and continue to um, help it grow and, and be a platform for use yeah. even beyond um, the COVID-19 opportunity that we're in right now. Yeah. And, and Laurel and her team, I mean, they're just rock stars the whole time. They were like, oh yeah, well, we're going to add this feature. And I'm, you know, it, it, it's, it was just like planting a seed and they have really made it blossom. You know, mm-hmm. they've really made it turn into something. Well, I just, I'm so proud that we were able to have you on. And actually you just, I think, touched on the final question I had for you. And that is, 
you know, what are some of the things that are going to come from this? I've been doing a lot of content on consumer behavior changes, even though that's crystal ball for sure. Um, but that's a really important, what we're talking about now when you say culture, Sarah, is really like, it's like a communal morale boost. I mean, I always like, love to think that we're, you know, just as great as the people we surround ourselves with. And look at how we're able to surround ourselves with people now going through this crisis. I mean, it's not like it's the people we're physically in the office with. It's like people all across the country who we consider to be heroes or motivated in a way that we strive to be motivated. And it ultimately, I believe, is going to make us all better. And it's not just because, you know, that old adage of what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. It's literally like <laughs> it's learning about the way that humans evolve through incredible hardship and challenge. And this is, I think, the first time in the modern age that we've been faced with something like this with all of the technology connection that we have. And mm -hmm. that's why I love so much in the, in the panel. And what both of you led on in that panel is it's collaboration. It's starting local and going national. And it is progress over perfection, everybody. That is super, super important to take away from this. Um, and I also just love that, like, you're all still a family going through it, okay? There's a lot of good, there's a lot of bad, there's a lot of ugly, just like any family. And we're getting through that together, you know? Yeah. <laughs> That's actually really yeah. important. So <laughs> I think that your story has been incredibly important to share. And I just want to thank you so much for joining us today on the Channel Mastery Podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having Thanks so us. Much. Yep. And I also want to say um, the Outdoorist podcast from the Outdoor Industry Association will be, I believe, syndicating this. It's a fantastic show. We'll be linking to that in the show notes at veritypr.com and channelmastery.com. And please check out the resources page again, snowsports.org, outdoorindustry.org. And then Verity has a resource page as well, which is right on our homepage at veritypr.com. And we created a free downloadable resource to help companies communicate who are doing the pivot to PPE. And that's at veritypr.com forward slash pivot. So with that, I will see everybody tomorrow for the Chaco interview, the outdoor research interview, and the DPS interview. Super excited and super honored to be able to host you guys. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you. you. Great to be here. Thank you so much for listening to the show today. If you're finding value in the Channel Mastery Podcast, and I certainly hope you are, I'd love to ask that you subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform, as well as rate and review the show on iTunes. Doing so helps more people discover the content, more specialty business and brand leaders can be helped by the incredible resources we're offering every week on the show. I also would like to invite you to join our community at channelmastery.com or verdepr.com. Sign up with your email and you'll receive special resources and content created just for friends of the podcast. You'll also receive advance notice of new channel mastery trainings and offerings. Thanks for listening and see you next week.